Welcome to the Discipleship Podcast with Pastor Pablo Martinez. We truly believe disciples aren't born, they are made. If your desire is to grow, renew your mind, and go to the next level in the way you live for God, this podcast is for you. Pastor Pablo will be sharing the real heart of a disciple through tough but transformational truths that are sure to confront us. These truths will lead us into establishing the kingdom of God in our lives. Now is the time. Grab your pen, a notebook, and your Bible. It's time to get formed. Well, it is Formation Friday. It is so good to be with you. Um, uh, before you know, we get right into the message, and as you know, we're doing this uh, series on the 12 characteristics of a multiplying disciple. Uh, but before we get into it, I just want to tell you guys we love you very much. We, uh, as pastors, feel honored and blessed to have you guys in our lives. Um, I think sometimes when we uh, listen to a sermon, we can listen to it in a, in a vacuum and forget that all these words happen in the context of the church, in the context of love, of support. Uh, we're in each other's lives. We care about each other. And so as I share these formational sermons um, or these formational instructions, I don't want you to forget that. I don't want you to forget that these are not words just coming from a place of, you know, I don't know, I want you to change because you're not good enough. To the contrary, it's, uh, we want you to grow because I know that God has so much more and so much better for your life. And so it's, it is a disclaimer uh, because we're about to get down and dirty. We're going to get real with you. And so I just want you to remember that, that we love you, that we are your pastors, and that we're not here to uh, make anyone feel bad. To the contrary, we want you to uh, grow in the Lord. We want you to not commit the same mistakes that many people have uh, committed before you and before me as well. And so let's get into it. It's called uh, 12 Characteristics of a Multiplying Disciple. We are uh, doing the first characteristic, which is a heart for God. And so let's pray and ask God to give us a heart for him. Dear God, thank you so much for your love and for your grace. Thank you because today we know that you love us and you love us so much that you gave your one and only son for us. That no matter what, no matter how far we've fallen, no matter what we've done, Jesus, you love us so much. I thank you because your heart, it truly is towards us. Help us, God, to have a heart towards you as well. Help us to make sure that we're not just religious people or people that go through the motions, but rather, Lord, that our hearts would burn and truly yield to you. We love you, Lord, and we want to love you so much more. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So uh, the first characteristic, like I said, is a heart for God. And, you know, we, we talked about which verse applies to this. Uh, we, we talked about Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 8, which I'm going to read to you now. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For, the, for, the, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. A heart for God is tested when other things of importance compete for your attention or compete for your desire, compete for your passion. You cannot say you have a heart for God and put them in the back burner or put them in the, in the trunk, right? How do you know that you don't have a heart for God. I know we can talk about, and we will talk about, how do you know you have a heart for God? But first I want to know, what are those things that you can tell that you're losing the heart for God or you simply don't have it? 
Okay? Uh, the first thing that I, I have here is the first thing that you will experience if you do not have a heart for God is busy. You get so busy that you have no time for Him. It is so easy in this life to get so busy that we forget who the most important person is in our lives. Jesus Christ deserves not just your first, but your second, your third. He deserves everything, right? We know that in our heads, but do you live that out in your daily life? Life becomes a routine. It becomes a rat race where we're trying to get ahead and do more and more and more. Not too long ago, I was just sharing with somebody that, you know, in this COVID time, I've been so busy going from one to the other and one, you know, counseling session to the other that sometimes it begins to weigh on you, weigh on your, not on your body necessarily, but on your soul, right? And it is so important, yes, to take those times away for yourself, but I would tell you it's not just for yourself, it's times away with God. It is important to understand that God comes first, no matter what. That God is more important than anything. Listen, this is uh, a part of, of the Word of God that I'm going to read that many times is misinterpreted. Uh, and I, I think it's not, um, it's not uncommon to hear you know, people quote this. Uh, but we really need to understand what it's trying to tell us. It's in, Romans, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 through 4. Revelation 2, 2 through 4. I know your deeds your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I have this one thing against you. You have forsaken the love or your first love. It says on this version, NIV, you have forsaken the love you had at first. <clears throat> you forsook your first love. When you get so busy, you get so caught up doing life, we can lose the most beautiful, most precious, most important thing, and that is the first love. What does that first love look like? That first love is pure. That first love is innocent. The first love is wide-eyed. It's expectant of God. It wants to see more of the Lord. One meeting is not enough. You're thinking, man, we only have church twice a week, only three times a week. Why can't we be here every single day? It's that kind of person that says, man, three songs are not enough. I want to worship God longer. It's a kind of heart that says, I wish I had more time in the mornings because I cannot stop reading. I want to know Jesus more. It is the heart that says, I am on fire for my Lord. But perhaps you cannot say that. Perhaps the best that you can say is, I logged in. Well, I showed up. Or you know what? I'm really struggling. I know that in my relationship with my wife, if I get too busy to love on her, It'll suffer, and it'll suffer very quickly. I know that if we can get so caught up doing good things, and listen, the Word of God is not confronting the church of Laodicea, Laodicea you know, for doing bad things. And of course, you know when you're doing something wrong, and you know definitely your heart is not for God if you're walking in sin or you're doing something. You know your heart is struggling to be for the Lord. But the problem is when we do all these good things, so many amazing things for God, that we begin to hide these hide behind these bushes of good deeds and we do not show ourselves to the Lord as we truly should be. And how is that? Available. Truly there for Him. Sometimes we can surround ourselves with so much work and work for the King. And perhaps, perhaps, you're doing so many good things, 
But the Bible says here that he says, I know your good deeds. I know your hard work. I know your perseverance. I know that you cannot do this and tolerate bad people or, or wicked people. I know that you have tested those who have claimed to be apostles and are not apostles. I know, I know, I know your good works. But I also know that you forgot me. Listen to this part of the Bible. It's, it's amazing how God confronts us and not to make us feel bad, but to love on us. Jeremiah 2 verse 4 says, What wrong did your fathers find in me? That they went far from me and went away after worthlessness and became worthless themselves. Let me read it again. What wrong did your fathers find in me? That you went away from me and went after worthlessness and became worthless. What wrong did you find in God that you went after worthlessness? It's intense, isn't it? That God would actually feel that. It actually hurts me even reading it to feel that I can walk away from God and chase after worthless things and then become worthless myself. It does not mean that you're a worthless person to God. But when you, all you do is chase after worthless things, that's what you're consuming. That's what you're becoming. A person who loses worth towards the world and towards the kingdom of heaven. The Lord finds you so worthy. He would die for you. He actually did. But the problem is this. We become so material and we forget that material things simply are not worth what we think they are. A heart for God is tested when other things of important compete for your attention, for your time, for your finances, for your love, right? I'll ask you this question if you would allow me to be so rude. And that is that, could it be that the worth of Christ and the worth of the work of Christ and the worth of who he is and your calling in him are not worth as much as you say that they are worth to you. Perhaps you haven't yet considered how much they're worth in your life. The call of God. And I'm not saying this is because you don't want to, but perhaps you haven't had to. I've talked to people that have been persecuted for, their say, for, the, for the sake of Christ. I've read books and I've had conversations with amazing men and women of God. And I will never forget this conversation I had with a missionary while I was in Africa. And he said these crazy stories to me about how they were persecuted for their Christianity. And how they were pointed at with AK-47s, shooting people next to them. Some people were getting burnt alive in their, in their townships. And this is what he said to me. He said, it is an honor. It is a privilege. This is my honor to suffer for God. When I, when I met Brother Jung, you know, you heard the man, the heavenly man who wrote the book, The Heavenly Man. I, I, I was in front of this man, and I don't get starstruck, but I was so excited to be in front of him. Because after reading the book, I've realized that this man paid such a high price for the Lord. And so I went to thank him, and I said, Brother Jung, thank you so much. I have a picture of that moment. When I was, somebody took a picture, and I remember I was just so excited. I looked like a little kid. I, I wanted to just thank him for everything that he did for the gospel. And I said, thank you so much for all you've done for the body of Christ. And he stopped me, almost angry. He said, no. It was my honor and it was my privilege to suffer for the Lord. 
What is it about these men? What is it about these women? What is it about these people in the Bible that we find? That's because they were tested. They knew what their Christianity was worth. They knew that God is worth far more than their families, than their children, than everything they own. If you are to be a disciple of Christ who actually multiplies, you have to consider the cost. And you have to consider that it's worth paying. Right? I was so excited to share this word. Because I have felt God prompting me not to compare him with other gods or other people's gods. Right? But to compare him to my own idols. Now this is hard to say because I am not an idolater. But I can't make idols of things. I can't make idols of people. I love my seven-year-old, Elijah. He is my best friend. My, I love that kid. I love him so much. I cannot tell you. When I tell you he's my best friend, like I just feel this intense connection with him. When I look at Jose, my three-year-old, my heart just, man, it just bursts with joy. I want to kiss him and squeeze him and, and I just want to spend time with him. I love my kids. And I felt God ask me, do you love me more than these? The same question that he asked Peter, do you love me more than these? As I look at my wife, that beautiful blonde who I absolutely love, do I love God more than her? As I look at the ministry, the people that I honestly, I can genuinely say I'll be willing to take a bullet for. And I am angry when somebody attacks it. And I rejoice when, part of, when they grow and I can see the blessing of God in their lives. And I am excited and I could wear myself out for them. But do you love me more than these, God would ask. Do you love me more than your mom? Do you love me more than your family? As a matter of fact, it says in the scripture that unless you consider everything else as worthless, as trash compared to him, then you cannot be his disciple. A heart for God is tested only when you come across those important things in your life. Can you say to God, I love you more than these? I love you more than my rest. I love you more than my enjoyment. I love you more than my fulfillment. You are my joy. You are my source. You are my fountain. All my sources, all my fountains are found in you. King David was a man after God's own heart. Let me explain to you why this man had a heart for God. Why he was named a friend of God. A man after God's own heart. It wasn't because he was perfect. The guy was a murderer. The guy was a cheater. The guy was a liar. And I'm going to see him in heaven. So I'm saying these things with evidence. King David, however, had something so beautiful. He was a man after God's own heart. He says, one thing I want and one thing I desire, it is to be in your presence. He says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Meaning, I would rather my, have my life be shortened to one day with you than a thousand years with you without you. I would rather live one day with you than live a thousand with, without you. Do you understand what I'm saying? That the desire for God has to be there. A burning heart has to be present. If you are comfortable without him, you don't have a heart for God. If you feel like you are okay without being in his presence, then you don't have a heart for God. If you can go on days and weeks and months for some of you, even years, without missing the presence of God, you don't have a heart for God. God wants to multiply his disciples on earth. But he doesn't want to multiply religion. He doesn't want to multiply that kind of religious people. A person that claims to know God but has no desire to know him more. He doesn't know God. When you know God, you want to draw closer to him. You want to embrace him. You want to hug him. You want to spend time with him. You don't know God or 
you forgot your first love. Do you remember when he pulled you out of the dark pit of despair? Do you remember the first time you were in his presence? How weird it was, but how beautiful it was. I remember very clearly going to APU, going to a chapel, which I did not want to be in because I had to go. See, when you go to a Christian university, you have to go to this church three times a week. And you have to punch in a card, literally. I remember sitting there not wanting to be there. I remember feeling so out of place. I never listened to worship music. Do you hear what I just said? I was a Christian that didn't listen to worship music. Why? Because I didn't worship. I would worship at church, but I didn't worship. I wasn't a worshiper. And I remember one of those times, I was just there and they were playing some song. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your house. I don't know how it's going to sound on the side. But better is one day in your courts and thousands elsewhere. And then it hit me. I was there, a Christian in a Christian university, not wanting to worship, feeling hard as a rock, and it broke me. I realized I was not a worshiper. My heart was far from God. I was surrounded with his people. I was surrounded with his love, with his care, but my heart wanted nothing to do with him. I wanted heaven. I just didn't want the Savior. If you are listening to this now, I want to ask you the question that he asked to Jeremiah. What wrong did you find in me? What have you found in God that is so wrong that you trade him for worthless things? What is more important than God? What takes up your mornings and your nights? Man, as I'm preaching to you, I'm being convicted. Of course, I love God and I want to serve him. But I've realized more as I go deeper into this, that my heart needs to draw closer to him. I want a heart for God. I don't want just his things. I want him. A heart for God is tested, like I said, when other things compete for your attention. So you can get so busy that you could put him so far back that you forget that he's even there. Dear leaders, amazing, beautiful CFF, and everyone else who's listening, if you get too busy to spend time with your lover, if you get too busy to spend time with God, if you get too busy to actually say, Lord, I'm going to seek you today. If you cannot fit them into your schedule, you will not fit into heaven. Let me put it like this. This is a preparation for what's going to happen when you get to heaven. If you feel out of place in his presence, why would you want to go? And that sounds hard, doesn't it? But if you don't yearn for his presence, how would you feel in heaven when it's all that is there? I know it sounds wrong, but listen, you must learn to yearn for the presence of God. And I'm not only talking about feeling it, I'm talking about pursuing it. Can I be very honest with you on understanding that Eunice is going to listen to this? I don't always feel, always feel in love. I love my wife with all my heart. But sometimes she makes me angry. Sometimes she'll make decisions that I'm like, Ugh! I don't feel like I should love her or like I should love on her. But you know what? It is in those moments where my, my love is most real. It is in the moments when you don't feel like when you most should. When you ought to love most God is the moment when you don't feel him. When you ought to pursue him more and more and more. There are husbands and wives. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard it. I'm not in love anymore. And I would tell you, you have no idea what love is. You don't know what love is. Because love, a love that is genuine, 
has nothing to do with your emotions. The emotions are an outcome of that love. They're a byproduct of that love. Love is something that cannot be moved because love is a conviction. Love is a decision that is made once and for all. When I decided to love God, I decided to love him when I felt good and when I didn't feel good. A heart for God is tested and is tested often. Let me go a little bit further because a heart for God is not only tested when you get busy, right? Or it's not only seen when you're too busy for him. But a heart for God is also tested when sin does not hurt you. If sin is in your life and you don't feel like crap, maybe your heart is not for God. Maybe your heart is for yourself or for the world or for that other person. But if you don't feel like trash when you're sinning, there's something off. Bro, did that pastor just say that? In these times, absolutely. Toleration of sin is never going to bless anyone. Just because we teach people to tolerate sin, it doesn't mean that's a good thing. This world, nowadays that we live in, and the church most of the time, teaches us, it's okay, don't feel bad. I say feel like horrible. You ought to feel horrible when you sin. Why? Because when you're letting the person that you love so much down, it should wound you in your spirit. If it doesn't make you feel bad, why would you ever want to change it? Oh, because, you know, it's called positive. No, no, you will never change something unless you realize how bad it really is. You see, when you don't learn to hate sin, it is telling God, I don't love what you love and I don't hate what you hate. I simply don't have the same heart that you have. If you feel bad for your sin, praise the Lord. Because that means you still have conviction of the Holy Spirit. It is when you start excusing it and pretending like it's not happening. That sin grips your heart. And according to the book of Romans, it begins here. And then it grows until complete perdition. You see, I've learned in my own life that the longer it takes me to repent, the harder it gets. The longer it takes for you to fall on your knees, the harder it is. Let me tell you why. Because before you sin, and as you're sinning, Satan is telling you, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Come on, it's just one sin. It's not that bad. Besides, God loves you. But as soon as you end sin, as soon as you finish that... Let me tell you, Satan will tell you, you're a piece of trash. You could never get up. God could never love you. He will never forgive you. Because that's the nature of the beast. That's how he works. The sooner you can say, God, I am sorry. I feel bad. I cannot do this anymore. I love you so much. Please help me. The moment you feel the pain of sin, it's the moment where grace begins to flood on your life and begins to just pour over you. You're in no better place. There's no better place than being in the arms of mercy of God. You see, but when someone sins and they don't feel the pain of sin anymore, you cannot say you have a heart for God. You can say you have religion. You can say you know how to say the right things. You could say you know the word of God. You could say you're a worship leader. You can say you're a pastor. You can say you've grown up in church. But you cannot say you have a heart for God. You can even try to pretend like everything is okay. But if sin doesn't hurt, I am telling you now, you are in deep trouble. But when you feel the pain of sin, when you feel regret, this is something that I remembered. Man, I'm telling you, it was so crazy. 
When I was in college, I remember I wasn't doing good things. Now, I wasn't trying to dishonor God. I simply wasn't honoring God. I had this girlfriend, and her and I were good friends. And I was so clear about one thing. I knew I wanted to serve God. I knew my life was for Him. But when I was in the middle of this moment of dishonoring God, I remember very clearly being confronted with this simple thing. Do you love me more than her? She went off to get married and I got married. And I don't know if she felt that, but I knew that I wasn't pleasing God. Now, I do thank God for his mercy and I thank God for his grace. But if you don't feel bad when you're messing up, you're in so much more trouble than I can help you. If the Holy Spirit does not convict you, you have to fall on your knees and repent and ask God to have mercy on you. Because when you no longer hurt for sin, not even God can forgive you. Because God cannot forgive a person that does not repent. Man, he can forgive anyone for any sin, no matter how long or how bad it was. But if there's no repentance, if all you have is tolerance, then your heart is lost. A heart for God is tested, like I told you, when you're really busy or when you don't feel sin. Another way that you can tell that a person has or doesn't have a heart for God is when you understand the call of God over your life. When you realize that the Lord, He loves you so much, He wants to share something with you. He wants to share His passion. He wants to share His love. Of course, I talked about getting too busy in his service. But there's also the other side of people that don't realize that when you love what God loves and when you hate what God hates, <laughs> it is the most incredible, most beautiful part of Christianity. I don't know how to explain it, but when you work side by side with my, with my Lord, he's amazing. He brings so much joy, so much beauty into your life. Eunia and I, like I said, we love being married. But one of the things we love most about being married is doing what God asked us to do together. If you are married and you don't do that with your husband or with your wife, pray that God gives them a heart for him. And if you are not doing it alongside them, then pray that God gives you a heart for the Lord. See, a heart for God says this, Lord, this is your life, not mine. Lord, this is your time, not mine. Lord, these are your finances, not mine. Lord, these are your preferences, preferences, not mine. Meaning, I've surrendered my life. I've surrendered my heart to you. I'm afraid, though, that we think that just because we throw God a bone every once in a while, our heart is for him. What do I mean by that? By the way, if you just logged on and you didn't understand the first part, you didn't hear the context of the love that we work with and the, the, the desire that we have towards seeing people grow, you may get offended with what I'm about to tell you. But so many Christians, man, so many Christians just throw God a bone on Sunday. They throw God a bone on Friday and they say, yeah, hey, I did it, right? I already did. What else do you want from me? What else do you expect from me? A heart for God doesn't feel that way. A heart for God doesn't say, God, are you satisfied yet? A heart for God is satisfied when he is satisfied. A heart for God is pleased when he is pleased. And I'm telling you, I have a God who's thirsty for the world. I have a God who desires to see no one perish, but everyone have everlasting life. It doesn't fit in my head. 
a pastor who doesn't want to win souls. It doesn't fit in my heart, a Christian who doesn't suffer for those that don't have Christ. Do you remember that quote we often say? I fear for the salvation of anyone who does not fear for the salvation of someone. I fear for the salvation of anyone who does not fear for the salvation of someone. We use our sin or our struggle as an excuse to not enter the purpose of God. And I want to say this, the purpose of God most of the time is not depending on your perfection. The heart, the purpose of God is depending on your availability. It's not how perfect you are, but how available you are. Say, God, I'm available to you. My heart is for you. I want to do what you ask me to do in this world. I want to fulfill my purpose on this world. And I believe, because I've seen it in my own life, God will take you from glory to glory and victory to victory. Did you know my struggles are not the same? My struggles are not the same as they were before. And I pray that they won't be as they are today. Because I go from glory to glory to glory and victory to victory. The problem is that most people want glory and victory. But they're fighting the wrong battles. They're engaging in the wrong conflicts. The size of the greatness of a person is determined by the size of the battles they wage. What are you doing with your life that you can say, I have a heart for God? Can you really say that with a straight face? Can you say, I have a heart for God and party up on Friday? Oh man, pastor, you don't know. You don't know what it's like. You say that because you have this. You say that because you have that. No, bro, you have Christ in you. Do you value him enough to say, Lord, I am yours today, tomorrow. No matter what I do, I'll search after your, after your purpose. Some people think that having a heart for God is going to church. And we constantly say this, it's not about going to church, it's about being the church. When you are the church, you long to go to church. You want to be at church. Man, <laughs> why not? It is Formation Friday. If you're a person who walked away from the body of Christ, I would caution you about one thing. Did you walk away from a church Or did you walk away from his precepts? Did you walk away from God? No, I never did. I still love him. I still worship him. Stop. I'm going to ask you again. Did you walk away from a church? Or did you walk away from his precepts? I am yet to find one person who walked away from the body of Christ without first walking away from his, from his commandments. I have brothers in other churches I have people that have come to this church and now go somewhere else. And I can tell you, they didn't walk away. They simply were moved by God. The problem is this, a heart for God, man, remains on fire, desires unity, desires community, desires the purpose of God. But when you start sinning, you start falling. Very quickly, you start seeing everything wrong with everyone else and everything around you. Because to see the sin in your life, hurts too much. The reason that hurts is because of this. Because you know that you were created for so much more than what you're living. You went from having a heart for God into having a heart for this world. And that will slap you in the face always if at some point you had a heart for God. So what do we do with this? What do I do if my heart fell far from Him? What do you do if you walked away from God? 
What do you do if at some point, by the way, walking away from God is not the same thing as walking away from church. Fine. If you walked away from your church to tear it up in the world, to do something mighty for the Lord, if you're doing mighty deeds for him, greater things than those that you were doing while you were at church, then praise the Lord. And I will tell you, then you actually did walk towards God. But the truth is this. A lot of people walked away from leadership, from church, from God. As a body, in the body, God manifested in people and through people. And they didn't walk closer to God. Most of the people that say, I still this, no, it's not true. If you were doing greater things, then I understand it. But most of the people that walk away from the body of God, from the body of Christ, which is the church, most of these people walk right into the gates of the world. And that is the saddest part. I told you it was Formation Friday. But I also want to tell you how not just it looks to be not having a heart for God and the contrast of it. But how do you get a heart for God? If any of you here haven't yet logged off and you still want to know how to get a heart for God. How do you have a burning heart? How do you not burn out? How do I serve God, love God, chase God consistently without reservations or without expectations of what he needs to do for me? There's only three things that I find here in the book of revelations and I find it actually throughout the whole Bible three simple things that God asks us to do in order to come back to him I'm gonna go quickly because um honestly I'm running out of time but the first way the first thing that you need to do if you are to return to God the very first thing and these are three R's the very first one is remember right in the word it says remember where you have fallen from remember I love this because um, a lot of people that ask for counseling in their marriage, the first thing I do is I ask them to remember why they got married. If you're having a hard time with your spouse, remember why you love her. Instead of remember what she did to you, what's wrong with her, oh, she's gaining weight, he's gaining weight, she doesn't do this, he doesn't do that. No, no, no. Remember the beautiful things, the great things about that person. Remember. If you want a heart for God, Remember all he's done for you. I would invite you to make a list tonight before you go to sleep and just start writing the love that God has shown you throughout your life. Remember where he pulled you from. Remember the words he said to you. Remember how he died for you. In my list, I would put, thank you, Lord, so much because in spite of me, you love me. Thank you, God, so much for your patience because you've waited so long. Thank you, God, so much for your relentless pursuit of me. Because no matter how much, man, how much I try to run away from you, you always caught up to me. And today, I'm still caught in your arms. Listen, do you remember what God has done? Do you remember that first song that you worshiped God with? Do you remember the song that you walked into that church and you thought it was weird, but somehow you raised your hands? Do you remember that one devotional where you shed tears on top of the pages? Do you ever go back there? Do you ever remember? One thing I love about my wife is that she remembers everything. And one thing I hate about my wife is that she remembers everything. You know what I love that? Because everything that she remembers helps me. To stay on track. To stay on task. It helps me remember why we are who we are. Why we do what we do. Every word she gets from God, she posts it. She puts it. Do you know why I hate it? Because it confronts me all the time with the things I still need to change. That's the power of remembering. 
The power of remembering is this, that you don't let go of the most important, wonderful things, and yet you still remember that you have so much more to go. Remember where you fell from. Remember your encounter. Remember your worship songs, that one song that you worship to God with. If you go back to my devotional playlist in Spotify, you'll find some old school songs. I love all the new songs. They're amazing. By the way, to you, the new songs may be your songs. Because maybe you heard them sooner than me. But for me, it's old school stuff, man. I have hymns in there. I have words that God spoke to me during devotionals, you know, that I was listening to a song. You know when you're, you're going out with somebody, oh, that's our song, that's our song, that's my song, right? And you remember what happened when you used to play that, right? I had this, never mind, I'm not going to talk about extra ovens anymore because I already talked about it and that's my quota, only one per Per week. Actually, I will. There was this one song, Strong in my pain with his feet. You remember what was that? The Fujis? The Fujis? I sound so Mexican. Fujis? Right? It's the Fujis. And I remember used to, I used to listen to that song. I used to bring back really bad memories, right? It was like this, this drama relationship back in high school. And I'm like, ew, I remember now. I was like, oh, I don't want to hear that song. Do you have a song that helps you remember the good times with God, the wonderful times with God? Why don't you make a new playlist and say, God, I want to remember Remember where you fell from. Another one, the other R. Uh, so what's the first one is remember. And for that, I wrote a psalm. I want you to uh, write it down. Psalm 73, 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Remember, remember, remember. Amen? You have to remember. The second one is you need to repent. Repent. Don't just try to you know, fix things. Don't just try to, okay, fine, it's over, it's done. I don't want to talk about it. I just want to keep moving forward. No, 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 you need to repent. Repentance is the beginning of your healing. I have a word for you for that. It's Hebrews 4, 16. Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Remember and repent. Repentance doesn't mean pretend it didn't happen. Repentance means I am feeling the pain of my, of my sin. I say to you, God, I won't, I don't want to do it ever again. The difference between regret and repentance is simply what happens afterwards. The difference between condemnation and conviction is the hope that there is within. Condemnation says you're done. You can't change. Conviction says this is who I am now. I will stop doing that because I am now a new creation in Christ. And my God gives me the power to change. You have to have that ability to come to the throne of God and say, God, I repent. I want to change. Give me a new heart. Give me a new passion. And the Lord will forgive you. And the last thing is this. You need to return, right? So you need to remember, you need to repent, and then you need to return to God. This is found in Jude 1, 20 to 21. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Listen, it says keep, what? It says keep yourselves in God's love. It's not I loved you once, I loved you then. It's I constantly keep myself in God's love. Daily you hear the word. Daily you spend time in His presence. Daily you encourage someone else. Daily you pursue His desires. Daily you have to first remember, then repent. And then what? Anybody here? 
return. You have to actually do those things. Go back and do those things. Not just remember them, but say, Lord, I will worship you. I will do my devotionals. I'll chase after your purpose. I'll finish with one last thing, and that is to me one of the simplest of, of all these things. So you know when you're struggling and when you don't feel like your heart is there, you know, I God, I, I, I feel the struggle between the world and you. I, I feel like I cannot chase after you. I want to love you, but I feel like I feel torn. Whenever you feel torn, it is really easy to feel untorn. This is how I do it, and I think it's blessed my life, and I want to share that with you. Whenever I feel torn between two things, I try focus, focusing on only one of those and, high, and making sure that I value that one thing most. Let me explain it. I feel torn sometimes between spending time with certain people or spending time with other people. Like it's either ministry sometimes or my family. And I feel torn because my phone is here telling me I need to answer because there's all these great needs. But then I have my son here saying, Dad, can you play with me? And so I have to make a choice. And instead of me being halfway here, halfway there, I have to say, this is so valuable. It's not that this is not valuable. It's not that you people don't, ma don't matter. It's that this is the one thing that I know God has for me to do now. And I value it so much that I forget about all the other things, at least while I'm with it. You have to be able to find it so worth it that everything else becomes trash. Remember, everything else has to take second place. If you are to have a heart for God. Let's pray. Dear God, I ask you right now that you help us, Lord, to decide that you are greater than all others. God, I ask you that you help us to find that joy in you. If there's someone here, God, that has been too busy, I pray, Lord, that they now, right here, they can repent and say, God, I will give you my mornings. I will say hello to you before I say hello to anyone else. I will say to you, good morning, Holy Spirit, before I check my Instagram. God, I will chase after you. God, forgive me if my heart has not been burning for you. If I walked away from your status, from your laws, if I didn't embrace them as my own, if I felt that they were imposed, but I knew they weren't. God, I ask you to help me change. Help me to grow once again close to you. Help me to love what you love and hate what you hate. God, help me to pursue you above anything else. Jesus, I love you and I want to love you more. I want to love you for the rest of my life. Thank you, God, for giving me your heart. Thank you, God, for giving me your love and giving me your patience. I ask you, Jesus, one last thing and that is that you please help me, Lord, to obey your call in my life. Help me, Lord, to enjoy doing things with you not just for you. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you guys so much. Next week, uh, we will take care of the second characteristic of a multiplying disciple. So stay tuned and God bless you.